Good morning. It's Tuesday, March 3rd, and you're listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. My name is Trey Scott. The topic of today's podcast, which is a look at the best players for next year's NFL draft in 2021, is in part the brainchild of one of our listeners. Uh, we asked the other day to, to please, if you have a content idea, leave it in a review on Apple Podcasts. And sure enough, we got one from Durst, uh, from Cat Scratch Reader. Durst from Cat Scratch Reader is his name. He left us five stars, or her name. Appreciate it. Durst said, followed college football for the last 20 years. Never really followed recruiting until this year. Kind of got into it. Loved the podcast the last few months. Enjoyed the NFL Combine preview. I did it with Charles Power last week, but already knew those names. And wanted to know more about 2021. So Durst, you're in luck. We already had on the content calendar, Chris Hummer's way too early top 10 players for the 2021 NFL draft. So we've got that for you. It's not quite a preview of next year's combine. I have no idea if Trevor Lawrence will run at next year's combine. Maybe he'll do it at Clemson's. I don't know if Justin Fields will throw at next year's combine. Maybe he'll do it at Ohio State's pro day. But if you want to look at the best players for the 2021 NFL draft, here you go. And I, I think, look, yeah, we're still focused on 2020. But, I mean, this is some of my favorite kind of content. The way too early stuff, nothing excites me more than that. So I'm going to bring on Chris Hummer. We're going to have a good conversation about his top 10. It should be a really good year for the recruiting industry. The 2018 class is the main feeder for 2021's NFL draft. And I already talked about Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence or Trevor Lawrence to Justin Fields as a 24-7 sports composite, had it in 2018. It's very likely that's the first and second picks off the board in the 2021 NFL draft. So keep your ideas coming, guys, and we would love to talk about what you want us to talk about. So here's my interview with Chris. All right, bringing in Chris. Chris, how do you want to attack this? We've got a top 10 big board for 2021, and I know it's early, and it's, it's probably extra early is the way we headlined it in the story, but I mean, this is a pretty obvious one versus two here in Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields. Uh, we're not, we're not Mel Kuyper. We're not Todd McShay, but I, I, I think we're certainly qualified to tell you these are the two uh, most uh, pro worthy players in college football or players worthy of a, a number one or number two spot. I, I don't think you have to be Mel Kuyper or Todd McShay this year. It's just pretty obvious. I think, 24-7 sports has kind of been telling you since 2017, really, that these two guys are the best quarterbacks in their class. And they got a 101 overall grade from the top 247. That hadn't been done in 24-7 sports history uh, before they received their ranking, at least for a quarterback. And they've both lived up to the hype. It took Justin Fields one more year than Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Trevor Lawrence got onto the scene really early, winning a national championship for Clemson in 2018. Though we saw Justin Fields a season ago live up to any and all expectations we could have had from him. Um, he had that really, really fun battle in the Fiesta Bowl this year with Trevor Lawrence. And I think we're going to see that transition into kind of next year's draft cycle. They both they both literally have it all. Like They're both very accurate, got great arm talent. They're really good athletes. Trevor Lawrence is a, like, we're going to hear this a lot, a surprisingly good athlete. He's a guy who runs under a 4.7. He moves really well. We saw that in the Fiesta Bowl. Justin Fields is built like Cam Newton. He's more accurate than probably Cam was at this point in his career, too. 
So it's just, it's going to be a really fun one-two debate here for the next 12 months as we look at those two guys. Yeah, and I think going into the Fiesta Bowl, we knew this was a precursor to hopefully they'll see each other again this year on the field and, and then a precursor to the, the draft discussion. I like I like in this article that you wrote, you mentioned this does feel like Andrew Luck versus Robert Griffin III from 2012 in that you have two prospects who are generational maybe and rg3 before you start hating on him out there was a tremendous rookie quarterback and then he had those knee injuries and i don't think the turf in washington did him any good and he had a lot of coaching up and down and and maybe just a glimpse into what can happen to a talented nfl player when a lot of other things don't go your way i wonder if we are going to start seeing people kind of the way we did with rg3 chris like talk justin fields up as a more worthy candidate than number one. I would disagree with all of them. I think Trevor Lawrence will go number one. I think he should go number one. I think he's too irresistible a talent to go number one. But I do anticipate maybe this at some point in the next year and change becoming a really big talking point about whether maybe Justin Fields should be the guy. And I think Justin Fields is a way better argument than Robert Griffin did back then. Like I live in Texas. I saw what RG3 did at Baylor firsthand. But Justin Fields is a little bit different of a prospect than RG3. RG3 had track speed. He was a world-class 110-meter hurdle guy. Um, he was a straight-line guy in college. And he was pretty slightly built, at least when you look at Justin Fields and the way his frame stacks up. And Justin, has he's in an offense with a considerably more advanced route tree. Uh, RG3 was a really big beneficiary of kind of the veer and shoot offense, which is, it's not simplistic. Like Art Bryles did a lot of great things there, but like Justin Fields is asked to do considerably more in Ryan Day's offense than RG3 was, and he'll be more pro ready. So I think Justin Fields certainly has a stronger argument than RG3 did to jump Andrew Luck. And I think Trevor Lawrence is that, or to jump uh, Andrew Luck, like RG3 tried to do. (laughs) But yeah. yeah, like Trevor, this is a much, I think this is a much more interesting debate overall than those two even. We're going to move on. I just want to throw this out. Maybe it's possible. I, I don't think Justin Fields would go back to Ohio State for the 2021 season, but he will only have had two years as a starting quarterback. And if he wants to be the number one overall pick, I don't know if that matters to him at all. Get your money, then, man. Go. Yeah, no, I, I would go too. I, I just, it's just, it's something to think about. All right, let's move down. Panay Sewell, we don't have any stats really to justify this uh, as if that really needs to happen, but offensive tackles, they're going to go in the top five. Panay Sewell is clearly the best offensive tackle in football. Six foot six, 320, plays at Oregon if you don't know who I'm talking about. Pro Football Focus says he's like maybe the best offensive tackle they've ever graded. Yeah, and Mario Cristobal has called him the best off. Mario Cristobal, who has produced some of the better offensive linemen in the country the last decade and a half is called Penny Suo the best offensive lineman he's ever coached too so like that's pretty high praise there and he's just utterly dominant on the left side for Oregon um and a draft class that has a lot of kind of open questions after number five he's a very very safe bet to go in the top 10 and there's nothing he there's nothing he doesn't do well he comes from a family full of college athletes he's got three brothers who played college football his brother Noah five-star linebackers joining him at Oregon this year um, he was the centerpiece of the best offensive offensive line in college football last year, and I have no doubt he will continue that high level of play and continue to be considered a first round draft voice as long as he's healthy. For sure. Uh, and, and then again, you look, when you look at this draft, and we're going to get to it. Not much defensive line talent 
So Panay Sewell, I think like this is a top five lock given what else is out there. Jamar Chase, Blinnikoff winner at LSU, 20 touchdowns last season. Probably won't get to do that again without Joe Burrow in the fold. So we'll still get a ton of targets because Justin Jefferson won't be stealing as many. But this year's receiving crop is loaded. Like 2020, we've talked about that. That's probably the story of the draft. 2021, I think, I think Chase is a headliner. It's not a bad crop either, though. So, I mean, we'll talk about that the further down we get on this list. But, it, you know, Chris, like Jamar Chase, you can watch him, and I think you know he's a first-round top-10 talent. But then all week at the Combine, interviews with defensive backs, hey, who's, a, who's the toughest receiver you faced this year? Everyone said Jamar Chase. Yeah, and, like, you, sometimes, like, we get – too enamored with testing numbers and everything when it comes to these players but you just watched him in the national championship game he went head-to-head against aj terrell a lot aj terrell for clemson was an all acc corner considered one of the better corners in college football he wasn't like on Derek stingley's level but he was a pretty like a very well respected corner like jamar chase made him look silly most of the afternoon like he dominated that game And he did that a lot last year. He had 100-plus yard efforts against Texas, Florida, Auburn, Alabama, and Clemson. Pretty much if there was a big game, Jamar Chase was showing up on the outside. He certainly benefited from Joe Burrow throwing one of the most accurate and catchable balls in the country. But Jamar Chase always seemed to kind of win those jump ball situations. He creates space with his strength very well. Um, He runs crisp routes. He's not a burner, but like... It wouldn't surprise me to see him test even better than he did in high school. We saw Justin Jefferson go from a 488 in high school to a 444 at the NFL Combine last week. Jamar Chase, who ran around a 46 in high school, could easily see a jump like that. I just there's not much not to love about Jamar Chase and in a really deep crop of receivers as you said. I think he's a pretty clear number 1 right now. Moving on, Patrick Sertan. And again, this is not a mock draft. Like we don't know who's picking at 5 and what they're obviously we don't and what they're going to need. I don't even have a good idea as who's going to be picking number one. But uh, number five on our list, Patrick Sertan Jr., uh, the cornerback from Alabama, was a, as far as recruiting rankings go, a historic cornerback recruit in the 2018 24-7 sports composite as the fifth highest-rated corner ever, ever, Chris. I mean, he's, this is pretty easy. Six foot two. He's got NFL bloodlines. And he tests well, and he grades out really well. Yeah, Again, not much not to like about Patrick Sertan. His name probably sounds familiar because he was a pro bowler with the Miami Dolphins in the early 2000s. He also had a pretty extended run at the end of his career. Kansas City Chiefs. I think he was the highest rated corner in in the NFL for a little while there. But um, he coached his son. Um, I talked to him last year for a story. Um, He was out there working with Patrick Sertan II at like age four. And they were working on kind of uh, DB drills, footwork and everything. And he just called his son a natural. He just remembers him making plays on the ball at age four that like he didn't see 16-year-olds doing at the high school he coaches at in Florida. And uh, Patrick Sertan had an up-and-down freshman season, as you would expect in the SEC. He was still really good. But last year, he put it all together. Um, he was one of the top three or four con- corners in the country, according to PFF College. And as you said, from a physical standpoint, he's got everything you could want. And uh, as long as he has another strong year next season, and I have no doubt he will in the SEC, um, he will be a top 10 or 15 pick at the worst. So on this list, we have six guys who are former 24-7 sports composite five stars. We have three other guys who are top 60 recruits. And then we have Gregory Russo at Miami, uh, defensive end, the first defensive lineman off the board here in this 
extra early 2021 big board. And Chris, let's talk about him. I, I'm hardly familiar with his story. I, I wonder if many people out there are, but he had 15 and a half sacks last year as a redshirt freshman. And he was a little known recruit who, correct me if I'm wrong, was a receiver or a safety prospect who's now bloomed into this freaky defensive end. Yeah, he was he played receiver and safety in high school. He was a I think he was a guy a lot of he had big offers. Like the reason he ranked as low as he did, like in the three star range, is because it was all on projectability. Um schools were seeing this kind of like skinny six foot six, two hundred and twenty pound receiver slash safety and watching the way he moves, watching the way he bends, watching the way he runs and projecting as a defensive end. Um he picks Miami. Uh, Gregory ends up redshirting for a year. He adds 31 pounds um, his first year on campus. He grew another inch. This dude's just massive. Uh, people in that program have called him a freak. And last season, he just showed out. He got he got the opportunity. He wasn't even starting early in the year. I believe he started seven games last season and put up these numbers. And he just he became arguably the most feared pass rusher in the ACC. He'll certainly kind of. Uh, continue that next season given the people who are going to be around him but just when you consider his frame and kind of the things he was able to do as an athlete before he got to Miami and transitioned full-time to defensive end you just really have to like the athleticism that's packed in that body along with the production and given that defensive ends have gone in the top 10 for the last five years and it'll probably be about to be six with um, Chase Young about to go off the board he's a really likely candidate to be a high first round pick next season. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the next four guys on this list and maybe some honorable mentioned players. Okay, we're back. Walker Little, Stanford offensive tackle, returned for his senior season. This is a guy who in 2017 was the number one player in the top 247. Barton Simmons loved him. Six foot seven, 304 pounds, no bad weight, runs a great shuttle time. Chris, do you think Walker Little, I mean, we hope from a recruiting industry standpoint and also just like a, a, a great kid who you, you kind of got to get, you kind of got to know as a Texas native, I think Walker Little's tracking as a first round pick. As long as he's back healthy. I mean, it's always, he's coming off a season ending injury. He played in one game last season for Stanford, but that, as we've seen recently, like ACLs are no longer kind of career threatening injuries. Like you can come back very easily from that. Um, he was an all pack 12 guy in 2018. He was trending up. And as long as he's healthy next season, I have full confidence in Walker that he will kind of develop into one of the better offensive tackles in the country. Uh, He's got one of the better offensive line coaches in the country at Stanford and kind of pairing those things together with his kind of testing numbers and size. um, He is a prototype kind of offensive lineman, exactly what the league looks for. He's a great kid, really smart, kind of exactly what teams want and their high, uh, high round uh, offensive line picks and there's just there's nothing not to like as long as he's healthy I have full confidence that Walker Little will be in contention as to be a first round pick and potentially a top 10 pick as we listed him here all right his high school teammate Marvin Wilson at Florida State now defensive tackle also returned for his senior season had a few injury problems I don't think that's why he returned but five sacks eight and a half tackles for loss Chris, this might be like the Derek Brown candidate, the the guy who surprises us by returning for his senior season because he was going to be a first rounder anyway, and then puts on tape enough to vault him into the top 15. Yeah, it's interesting. Like this year, we're seeing two defensive tackles who came back for their four seasons, Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw, who are very likely going to be top 10, top 15 picks who came back for their four season. I think 
at defensive tackle specifically, like an extra year on tape never hurts you. You can kind of show you can consistently um, create a pass rush on the inside. You can show that you can consistently dominate on the inside, which is what teams want to invest in at that position. And those two guys did it last year. They're going to benefit from it. And I think Marvin Wilson's the most likely guy to benefit from that kind of jump next season. Um, he was in a force kind of on the inside last year. He was probably, at least per PFF college, he was the best kind of interior pass rusher in the country. Um, he said in the past that he had a first round grade already. So by returning to school, he's kind of betting on himself and betting that he can make an even further jump up the draft um, boards. And is like, I keep saying this as long as he stays healthy and that's always a key with these guys, but he's got everything you'd want as kind of a big body defensive lineman. He's got really quick church explosiveness on the inside. And again, knowing him from high school, he is one of the smarter guys that you'll meet. So kind of pair all those things together. And he's got a athletic intelligence and kind of proof on the field profile of somebody who could go really, really high in the draft. Next up, we've got Micah Parsons. And you mentioned in your article, linebacker isn't this premium position, but the NFL has recently placed a priority on special athletes. You're going to see Isaiah Simmons from Clemson maybe go in the top 10, or sorry, top five, top 10 for sure this year. Last year, Devin White and Devin Bush were both top 10 players. Micah Parsons is not Isaiah Simmons, but the things that Isaiah Simmons did playing linebacker, the things that he did to affect the back seven, like in the passing game, I think kind of Micah Parsons can mirror closer to the line of scrimmage, like an absolute freak show with insane positional versatility is a, I mean, we, Chris, we've, we've covered him. You wrote a fun story about him a few years ago. He's kind of a mean kid. He's kind of got a, uh, <laughs> a mentality that he wants to hurt somebody. I think that's going to serve him well. I, I think we're looking at my, and Micah Parsons, you know, him and Derek Stingley are maybe the best two defensive players in college football this year. Yeah. Micah Parsons is one of those guys you want to get off the bus first. The dude just, He's huge, first of all, and he's just got like a demeanor around him that you know you don't want to mess with Micah. And the dude is going to get downhill and he's going to hit you quick. And as you said, there is a lot of positional versatility with Micah Parsons. Um, He was a running back and defensive lineman in high school, but his coach, I remember when I talked to him for that story, said he could have easily played safety, and he did play a little wide receiver for them. So he could do everything in high school. Obviously, it's not the same thing when you're talking about college or the NFL, but at uh, 6'3", 245, he can easily he's a pass rushing threat off the edge and he's also done really well in pass coverage over the years so he can drop back if you need him to and that's what you need in a modern linebacker you need somebody who can scrape you need somebody that can go sideline to sideline and it's a big plus if you can also play around the line of scrimmage and attack the passer and Micah can do all of those things really well um, he tested really well in high school as well he had a 46640 a 4340 yard shuttle and a 31 inch vertical Given the program he plays for, which is Penn State, which has developed guys and pushed people athletically better than almost any program in the country the last four or five seasons while James Franklin has been there, I expect those numbers to only improve. And I think he is one of the few linebackers that you can project to go really high in the draft. Not only is the production there, the testing numbers are there, but he's got everything you want to kind of uh, make him be considered for a top 10 pick. I think he's one of the safer picks in uh, next year's draft for a team. Yeah, Penn State uh, strength and conditioning coordinator, Dwight Galt, probably as good as it gets. It's kind of fun moving on here to our last guy, Jalen Waddle from Alabama. Maybe this is the year of the mini receiver because you almost put Rondale Moore at Purdue here. 
It's like both both are very worthy. Rondale Moore is going to test a little bit better. Jalen Waddle. I mean, who out there didn't watch the Iron Bowl? Four catches, ninety-eight yards, three touchdowns, and then the ninety-eight yard kick ret- kick return for a touchdown. Chris, you listed his stats here. Average thirteen yards after the catch. It's absurd. Average twenty-four yards per punt return. That's the best since two thousand and nine. So I can't you kind of see someone falling in love with Jalen Waddle as far as like pound for pound, there might not be a better, more explosive player in college football. Oh, unquestionably. And in the NFL and the modern NFL, the ability to win inside in space and kind of create separation quickly for the kind of the quick passing game that the uh, NFL has turned into is key. And nobody does that better than Jalen Waddle in college football. And there's nobody more dangerous in college football once the ball's in his hands. That punt return number to 2009 is pretty incredible, not only because it's the highest number, but because nobody else is close. There's been nobody within three yards of Jalen Waddle on a per kind of punt return average in that stretch. Like that was that was a historically dominant effort from Jalen Waddle. And he's been that way since high school. I remember his um, his seven on seven coach uh, for fast seven on seven, which is a Houston based seven on seven team told me he scored something like 63 touchdowns in eight games in a seven-on-seven tournament. And he just kind of came off the bench in that. He didn't even start the first one. His teammates saw what he did in the first half and were like, this guy needs to play because he was kind of the new guy on the team. And he's just been incredible throughout his career. Now that he's going to be one of two main guys for Alabama next season, uh, joining Devontae Smith, who decided to stay for his senior year, I have no doubt his numbers from a receiving perspective will blow up. And he's a guy who's going to test under a 4-4. He's everything. And I would say this is probably going to be the year of Bel Air Episcopal High School because Jalen Waddle was also a high school teammate of Marvin Wilson and Walker Little. So shout out to Steve Lee's over there. Like he's built a powerhouse program in Houston and they could have three first round picks rather easily next season. Well, I always leave it to you to get a good Texas plug in, Chris. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, of course. Okay, that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, please express your support by leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's very important. You can also find us on Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, Stitcher. And again, if you have a content suggestion, leave it in a review. I promise we'll get to it. We don't have anything to do all off-season but talk about what you want us to talk about. For Chris Hummer, for Connor Tapp, for our producer, Tony Levitt, for Durst from Cat Scratch Reader, I'm Trey Scott, and we will see you on Wednesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.